Welcome to Freedom Thinkers, where we analyze current events and political topics to promote free thought on college campuses and throughout America. Today we are talking about the Hong Kong protests, why they are happening, and the American response. I'm Parker Humphrey here with my co-host Luke Johnson. Hello. And today we are discussing the Hong Kong protests. We want to give you all a background about why they're happening, why they are continually increasingly violent, and we want to talk about the American response to these protests. So Luke, uh, can you give us a little bit of background on why these Hong Kong protests are happening? Yeah, so it sounds like it started back in early May that the um, Legislative Council was trying to pass an extradition bill, which meant that China, excuse me, Chinese authorities in Beijing could extradite people for Chinese law. And so there's kind of been a two-system deal here between China and Hong Kong. It depends on who you ask, but it seems like some people think that Hong Kong is part of China and others think that Hong Kong is separate, kind of like a Taiwan kind of deal. So back in May, this legislative council in Hong Kong was trying to pass this extradition bill, and this is where things kind of caught fire. So back on June 11th, the night before the bill was set to have its second reading, it was really amazing that tens of thousands of protesters peacefully, and that's the key word, peacefully, joined the occupation on the streets right outside the government complex right there down in downtown Hong Kong. And so they were hoping to, you know, block lawmakers from being able to debate the bill. Um, and so some of them had different masks on and that kind of stuff. Yet they were, they were still, they remained peaceful. And so their efforts were successful, but some um, violence did end up breaking out starting that mid-afternoon. Um, police fired rounds of tear gas, pepper spray, rubber bullets, all that kind of stuff, and at least 81 people were injured that afternoon. So it did have a peaceful beginning, but things since then have kind of taken on and you know, more violent turn, it seems like. Yeah, which some of that violence is due to uh, the Chinese government have sent in police as undercover protesters uh, to stir up violence. Uh, police have been, there have been some violent arrests of protesters on the streets. Uh, the quote-unquote leaders have been arrested in some cases, and they were just random people that they pulled off the street yeah. and beat violently. Uh, the police shot someone in the eye. Uh, Dan Crenshaw uh, shared a picture yesterday on his social media of protesters wearing eye patches or gauze over their eyes in solidarity with those people hmm. who have been shot in the eye. Uh, so I just want to give our listeners a little bit of a background on Hong Kong's history, why they're not really part of China. They Technically, they are. Um, so Britain acquired Hong Kong in 1842 uh, after a war. Hong Kong has been part of Britain until in 1984, Hong Kong re- or China reached a deal with Britain uh, saying that in 1997, the Hong Kong government would become part of China officially but it would be one country under two systems. So while China is a communist country, mm. Hong Kong would maintain the free market uh, economy. And so while Hong Kong is part of China, they do enjoy a high level of autonomy. They have freedoms that are not seen in China. And the only thing that China has control over them in is foreign and defense affairs. So this agreement is the last 50 years. And so... Hong Kong will be completely taken over by China in 2047 when the government will switch over all to the Chinese government. 
however, a lot of these problems are because, as you said, there's the extradition process, things like that. China is trying to meddle in the affairs of Hong Kong mm-hmm. and trying to censor and get government involvement, even though they'll take over in 24-7. But a lot of the protesters are calling from full independence from China. And a lot of, especially young people in Hong Kong, call themselves, consider themselves part of Hong Kong and not part of China, uh, which is very important. <clears throat> it's an interesting distinction, you know, what your identity is. That's where you're, you get your, your labels from. And, it's, I mean, it's, it's proof, and it's worth noting that Hong Kong has been a thriving city because of those free principles that they have, more of a kind of a Western flair to it. I mean, it has 7.4 million people that reside in Hong Kong, and so it kind of takes on a a Western vibe, even though it is in Asia. But it's um, but yes, there is China has definitely, even though they are going to take control in 2040, what was it 2042 or whatever you said, that they are still wanting to take control now, and that's kind of China's place. They're always trying to kind of expand their land and their power, especially in the Asia-Pacific region and island hopping and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of their style to want to take over and kind of, you know, have that centralized power. So that's definitely in their nature for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, they're building islands, and they love they claim Taiwan's part of uh, China, even though America recognizes them as a separate country. Uh, interesting enough, you talked about the wealth and the prospering. Uh, GDP per capita is often a good measure mm. of wealth. Uh, so for those of you all who don't know, GDP is the total produced in a country, and therefore it also equals total income. And GDP per capita is just GDP divided by the number of people in the country. Uh, so Hong Kong's GDP is 46193 uh, U.S. dollars. Mm. While China's is a whopping $8,826. Wow. Uh, so there's a large difference. Those are 2017 numbers. Uh, so you see the free market at work. Yeah, I mean, you, that's a telling number. Well, it's from the same, co- it's from the same place in the, in the world. They're right next to each other. Yeah. And Hong Kong is blowing China out of the water as far as GDP numbers hmm. uh, per capita. Of course, China's GDP per capita is a lot, or GDP without per capita is a lot higher sure, because sure. it's a large nation. But yeah, people in China are suffering, and there's a lot of censorship. And understandably, people who are from Hong Kong, it's hard to take away people's freedom. People do not like having their rights taken away, uh, and therefore, I, I think the more China tries to take away those rights, the more violent their protesters are going to mm. become. Which is unfortunate. I think if the more we can avoid violence. Yeah. Well, that's what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, too, is we've seen China officials get more aggressive while the Hong Kong protesters have gotten more aggressive as in, well. In response. And it's because they don't want those rights to be taken from them. So it's, you know, it's a very interesting um, development. It's kind of what happened at the birth of our nations. You know, we wanted those rights, and so we were willing to, willing to die for them. It seems like that. Same fight for democracy is alive in China as well. And throw tea into the rivers. <laughs> <laughs> that too. We'll see if they uh, go that far, but we'll we'll have to see. Yeah, taxation, <laughs> I don't think, as much as the problem is it is censorship <laughs> of speech. Yes. Well, and it's interesting, though, because back in June, when they first started protesting, it was amazing that three days after they had that sit-in outside the legislative hall, it says that two million people were estimated to have taken part 
for the march for democracy and the march for freedom. And that just is a testament. That's a quarter of the whole city's population that was willing to get out to stand up to protest. And I don't think we've seen a single city in America have a quarter of its population get out and protest. Of course, there's right to life, women's march, all that kind of stuff, but that's not a single city. And so I think that's telling of the the passion that's in this this fight for freedom. Well, what's crazy is uh, I think Hong Kong, the people of Hong Kong have a better understanding of what happens in China than we do as Americans mm. because they are right next door. So yeah. they understand people are getting thrown in jail for their beliefs. I mean, uh, I don't know if there's a special name for them, but there is a lot of evidence that China throws Muslims in jail uh, because of nationalistic policies uh, or nationalistic ideas and tries to, you know, get them to reject their belief system. And I think Hong Kong sees that and says, we don't want that. And yeah. th- that motivates them heavily mm. to protest the way they have been. So turning towards the American response, I think overall the Americans uh, tend to side with Hong Kong. I mean, mm. it's understandable. Yeah. Uh, however, this is a bit of a eggshell walking for us, uh, especially for the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think as far as like Trump's concerned, uh, has he made any comments on this protest? He actually surprisingly has not made very many comments. He has sent out a couple tweets standing in solidarity with the Hong Kong protesters, but surprisingly Trump has stayed pretty quiet on this on this issue so far. So that's interesting as well. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, he's been more outspoken saying that America supports the Hong Kong protesters and what they stand for, but so far the president has other things on his mind right now which is understandable considering that he's been working to get a trade deal with china it would yes risk jeopardizing a lot of what we did with the tariffs and things exactly. like that uh if he said something about hong kong and they're like yeah we don't want to make a deal with you all anymore yeah and i think as you see in hollywood and other areas there's a lot of american industries that have not come out and support Hong Kong mm. uh, be for the sake of business and money. Uh, I, I was talking with you yesterday about how in the, the new Top Gun movie, there's not a Taiwan patch mm-hmm. on Tom Cruise's jacket uh, because to recognize Taiwan would get this movie banned in China, and we need Chinese money in our movie industry. Well, it's the same kind of thing with the whole NBA Rockets, Houston Rockets yeah. team. So, I mean, it's it's good to see that you know, some people are willing to stand up for Hong Kong and the protest for freedom, but others are worried more about their own business and money than the rights of other people. Which I was extremely disappointed in the NBA. Yes. Uh, it's an American company. I mean, and there's, there's very, it's very American in the sense that, you know, that's, yeah, it's one of the largest industries in America. It's a sports industry. Uh, the only thing there's, I mean, American football and American baseball may be the only other more American thing. <laughs> well, and, and it's it's interesting too because I heard a report the other day too that said that China is, you know, the NBA preseason games are going on right now, and it said that China state media was not allowed to stream NBA preseason games because of the the ongoing tension between the two because so. they're ticked <laughs> they so well it'll be interesting to see if they let up at all or just continue their hardline stance yeah which you saw a very different response i don't know if you've seen the uh, south park response to china i have uh well south park came out with an episode that the whole episode was mocking china for like you 
you see the main characters in South Park form a band and they were trying to write songs and get them played in China, but they kept like banning them. Like they're like, oh, we can't show that. And so then they end up getting real frustrated and it's like, we're not going to sacrifice our, you know, what we want to make for money. Yeah. And so, uh, but you also see like uh, Xi Jinping, who has been compared to Winnie the Pooh in China. I'm pretty sure when they did it in China, it was affectionate. It, it was oh, meant to be nice. Well, someone would have gotten in trouble if it wasn't. Let me well, but Winnie that. the Pooh has been banned in China, too. Uh, so, which poor Disney is <laughs> losing money off of that. They're doing just fine. I don't know. <laughs> so, Winnie the Pooh also made an appearance in the South Park episode. Oh, really? Uh, yes. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but... Uh, oh, my word. So, yeah, but it was interesting. The China banned South Park now. South Park cannot be shown in China. Oh. And I just want to read, let's read their response uh, from the creators. Yes, so here is the response from the South Park creators. Official apology to China from Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And this is on a tweet. Like the NBA, we welcome Chinese censors into our homes and into our hearts. We too love money more than freedom and democracy. He doesn't look just look just like Winnie the Pooh at all. Tune into our 300th episode this Wednesday at 10. Long live the great Communist Party of China. May this autumn sogrom harvest be bountiful. We good now, China? <laughs> so that was that was a bold response. Uh, that's uh, very South Park esque, you know. <laughs> yes, but what has been what I've really enjoyed is even the people above the creators of South Park, as far as you know, management and stuff, have supported them in this. Yeah. They've said that is ba- they basically said that's our official statement on the issue, uh, which I I love. Yeah, because I don't think America, and I'm really disappointed in Hollywood, uh, has consistently censored uh, our own creations of art for China because we need the market money. But they're a communist country. We're not here to. I mean, we're not. We should not be censoring for their sake. Mm. Uh, but I guess economically, it makes sense. Yeah, like you said earlier, I mean, it's just for a foreign policy standpoint from the United States, it's just an interesting tightrope to watch because, of course, our economies are tied to one another. But also, it's important for us as a the beacon of democracy to support those who are trying to fight for democracy. So it's, it's interesting. Well, I want to take a little bit of a turn from Hong Kong over to what's been going on over in Syria. In the recent announcement, the White House came out with a statement saying that they are withdrawing U.S. troops from northern Syria ahead of an impending Turkish invasion, despite criticism from both Democrats and top Republicans, including Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, uh, former U.S. UN, U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, and, um, and so forth. Um, it's important to note that the other Kentucky U.S. Senator, Rand Paul, does support this withdrawal of U.S. troops. But I'm interested to see what you think of the decision and what's going to happen in that region. Won't make it more unstable, you think? Or is it more important to bring our troops home? And we're really good at destabilizing regions and <laughs> leaving. Uh, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about this. Mm. I, I don't like being involved in foreign affairs when America is not threatened. Um, there is a place, I think, for the defense of the innocent. Mm. Um but I, I don't know what we're doing there. I mean, Syria doesn't impose a threat to the U.S. However, there is considerations that 
this is Russia wanting to get involved in the Middle East. Uh, Syria and Russia have very tight ties. And so it is a risk uh, if we pull out and Syria, you know, tries to invade a neighbor, expand borders, or, you know, gain strength. Yeah. That's Russia's foot in the door mm. for the Middle East, which we're just going to have to watch that. I think if we see Russia get involved, then we need to be in a position to push back against that. Uh, but, you know, I don't like getting into Korean, Iraqi-type wars that aren't necessary, that we're just kind of getting involved for the sake of dealing with a country that we don't we don't want to have power. Yeah. Um, if we're under threat, then yes, get involved. And so that's why, like, the war in Afghanistan was very, like, I was, I think that was great. We should have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the war in Iraq, maybe not so much. Um but it's no surprise that Rand Paul supports this. I mean, he's he's a libertarian. Yeah. He's not really a Republican. <laughs> um, he's his own breed of of Republican for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, he is definitely more of don't get involved if we can avoid it. Definitely more isolationistic, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a better policy because I'd like to not have men and women abroad if we can avoid it. Yeah. Um, but, but I think at this point, though, I mean, we've been there for a while and just to get up and leave when the to be honest the mission's not complete yet that isis could have another surge of power or where i think russia's looking their chops right now thinking oh this is great the u.s is pulling out of the middle east right now or pulling out of the the syria region and that gives us a golden opportunity to intervene in the middle east and expand our own empire so i think it's I disagree with this decision by the president, and I think that it would be more beneficial for us just to leave, or excuse me, for us just to stay there in the region right now and not to abandon other allies such as the United Kingdom and you know other other nations that are already in the region right now. Especially, especially to leave the Kurds just kind of abandoned right now is I don't think the best the best decision. And this is actually one of the reasons that uh, General James Mattis left the Secretary of Defense or as Secretary of Defense because he vehemently disagreed with the president on this decision and said that he felt like the president just needed more people to agree with him if that was what he uh, what he wanted so so are we removing all of our troops or we we, i assume we are from the northern syria region progressively yeah so there hasn't been a timeline set out yet and i think i don't know the president his style seems if he's criticized enough by both sides of the party that sometimes he will change his decision so i don't i don't know if this is one of those cases or if he is you know set to do this whether republicans or democrats say it so i think it'll be interesting to see if he sticks to his decision or if he changes his mind on this because i don't think his base cares too much um i think his base could easily be convinced that it's in our best interest to just you know stay Mm -hmm. in there for isis against isis and stay in there to support the kurds Uh, but i also think his base could be convinced that it's in their best interest to leave. So I don't know if this really has any effect on the election. Yeah. Uh, unless I, something bad comes of it. Unless you pull out exactly, an ISIS good gets exactly. in a power position again. Or if Russia expands their empire and you see Bashar al-Assad of Syria continuing to partner with Putin in Russia. Yeah. So I think we'll just have to wait and see how these events uh, play out for sure. Yeah. It'll definitely be a interesting waiting game for sure. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Freedom Thinkers. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. You can find more episodes of Freedom Thinkers on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We appreciate your support. And until next time, this is Parker Humphrey on Freedom Thinkers Podcast.